This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, and the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny. Well, our episode today is inspired by a concert this weekend, which features Storm Large, wonderful singer. She's going to be performing at the Stranahan with the TSO. That's this Saturday at 8 o'clock p.m. You can find out more information at ToledoSymphony.com or call up the box office, 419-246-8000. The uh, title of the program is Storm Large and the Crazy Arc of Love, and being that this uh, episode is airing on Valentine's Day, we are going to uh, talk all about love and romantic music, all those wonderful things. Should we talk about Storm Large first in this concert that's coming up? Do you want to jump in and tell us about that, Felicia? Oh, yes. Um, so this concert is something that I think everyone can relate to and really enjoy. And the title itself, The Crazy Arc of Love, basically the program explores music about first love and the, the excitement and the emotions associated with that moment. Yeah. And then it goes through turmoil, <laughs> possible <laughs> turmoil. You know, some people might relate to that. And then uh, it goes just through the different, um, the different cycles of love and ends with something that's just really gorgeous and beautiful. That's, you know. Yeah. And uh, Storm Large has a phenomenal stage presence, big voice. Yeah. And she, um, I think, shot to national prominence after being on this uh, talent show, Rock Supernova, a CBS talent show. And then she's performed with um, the group Pink Martini before and Oregon based. And she's traveled the the country now performing with symphonies uh, across the nation. Yeah. And, and she was here before. She was uh, with the Toledo Symphony a few years ago. I know she was here in the studio and, mm -hmm. uh, before that concert talking about it. Uh, really wonderful personality and somebody who uh, transforms everything that she sings. You know, she sings music from all across the spectrum. Right. But every time that she does it, she always makes it her own in a certain way. She'll be here actually for two consecutive weekends. So she's doing this weekend's concert on the pop series. And then she'll be here next weekend doing a very different type of concert on our classic series. Yeah. And uh, it will really showcase the variety or the, the breadth of her talent to go from the arc of love mm -hmm. into the seven deadly sins by Kurt Vile next week, which is also one of her calling cards. Yeah. So she has kind of two faces in her own professional career. And we're really lucky to be able to explore both of those this next couple of weeks. Well, I think the arc of love and the seven deadly sins have some kind of, you know, intermingling there somehow, just uh, even in a thematic <laughs> It's interesting thematic that you say basis. that because I've thought about the arc of love as like, you know, the picture the, the, uh, Arc, the arc, the arch in um, St. Louis. That's above ground. That's like the arc of yeah. love in my mind. And then That's the, the seven deadly sins. The arch of love. Seven deadly sins is this arch of love underground. So <laughs> that just all... reminded me of some sort of like cosine sign. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's yin and wow. yang. Yeah. So. That's just for you, Zach. 
That's my. <laughs> Why does that make me feel so uncomfortable? <laughs> kind of felt like somebody snuck up behind me and gave me a okay. yeah, that, it's, that. it's called agape. Remember, there are all different kinds of love, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All different kinds of love. But, Just to clarify for our listeners, that was a sound effect, right? Spe- yes. <laughs> speaking, of, uh, speaking of Valentine's, uh, which we were speaking of Valentine's at the beginning of the podcast, so I can say that, speaking of Valentine's. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Valentine's Day. And I, I have a little Valentine's trivia for you. Not really a quiz, but just, to, you know, to give you an idea of the origins of Valentine's Day. A lot of people know this, right? It's named after Saint. Saint Valentine. Saint Valentine. Oh, that was my right? second guess. <laughs> named after Saint Valentine. Uh, Saint Valentine lived during the third century and uh, he was put in jail. He was martyred because he was marrying people and he was uh, ministering to Christians, which was a no-no at the time. So the very first Valentine ever written, according to legend, came from him writing to the, the daughter of his jailer who had been blind and he had healed her. He wrote her a note and he signed it, your Valentine, and that was on the eve of his execution. So right there, we have love and death, you know, mixed together, right? I'm just thinking about all those poor school children who write each other Valentines. They don't really think about the <laughs> yeah, exactly. tradition they're upholding. Well, I mean, if you really want to impress your date, right? Write on the Valentine and then write off to your death. <laughs> wow. Wow, that just got that's, dark that, fast. Yeah, <laughs> that's, dark that's fast. a little bit more of a crazy, crazy cliff drop of love. <laughs> crazy cliff drop of love. <laughs> uh, yeah, ex- I'm writing this one down too. Yeah, now excellent ideas. But it wasn't until centuries later that people started to think of Valentine's with you know romantic courtly love. And mm-hmm. you know who the author was that that sort of brought that into the world? That was. Uh, Canterbury Tales, ring a bell? Chaucer. Yeah, Geoffrey Chaucer in the 1300s. He wrote um, about birds and birds mating in February. And he said, you know, the birds pick their mates on Valentine's, St. Valentine's Day. It wasn't really necessarily February 14th at the time, maybe late February, maybe even May, according to some sources, which makes a little bit more sense. But then other authors started to pick up on this idea of birds and Valentine's Day, and it eventually flowered into what we have now. If you want to go to uh, the, the first time that somebody actually wrote a Valentine's Day card and called somebody their Valentine, then you have to uh, go to the, the 15th century. And uh, Charles of Orleans, who was in the Tower of London after the Battle of Agincourt, history lesson for today, he wrote a letter to his beloved, and he said, uh, I am already sick of love, my very gentle Valentine. That's how he began mm-hmm. the poem. So mm-hmm. we can uh, ascribe to him the idea of calling people Valentines. I just have this sense of like a really stale piece of heart-shaped candy from the 1400s that says, be mine right. on it. Yeah, <laughs> Like a little piece of stone where it's carved, <laughs> chiseled in, <laughs> Flintstone style, right? It might work on your dentures. A little bit of heartburn. But you know, in medieval times, it was not the heart that was the the seat of love. It was the liver. People thought that the liver was the most romantic organ. No reaction? Nothing? You got nothing? (laughs) There's a joke in there somewhere, Brad, but I'm not taking the bait. But But it's actually true. It's actually true. If we start talking about the heart and the heart symbol, Mm -hmm. you know, this Mm -hmm. idea of the heart. And, and, it's weird because you look at the way people draw a heart, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really look like a heart. 
I mean, unless maybe it was a really crappy artist who first drew <laughs> <laughs> the symbol of the heart. And he's like, here, look, a heart. And they were like, that looks nothing like a heart, but we'll use it anyway. I mean, that's possible. Well, the many chambers of the liver just doesn't have the same uh, yeah. brain <laughs> or anatomical <laughs> correctness. Well, the many chambers of the heart. It's been a while since I've played little... Operation, but I'm pretty that's sure what that's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Finally, that makes sense. Yeah. Don't, don't, well, to people of a certain generation, perhaps. Yeah, now it probably just makes it. It's probably played on an iPad. Yeah. Um, so the heart, the heart shape. I actually did a little research on this, and just because I know that everybody is, you know, waiting with bated breath to figure out where that comes from. Uh, evidently, there was, it's now extinct, but there was a plant called Silphium which uh, was used as a contraceptive. And the seeds look like little hearts, the little heart shape. So they think that that's what, you know, people were using to symbolize the heart. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I swear I did not make that up. <laughs> What'd you say How it was called? Silphium? Silphium, yeah. Um, you, you were... <laughs> Every time that I reach over to that soundboard, I see Zach like start to cringe. <laughs> it's a nervous tick. <laughs> but well, I think, why did the plant go extinct if it was... I, I think it was overuse or something. I don't know. <laughs> Using the seeds on itself, perhaps. I don't mean... <laughs> wow. Wow. I don't even have a sound effect for that. Yikes. Oh, Biology no. gone wrong. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, you were saying, Merwin? I really was trying to bring it back to the concert. Um, and you had mentioned Storm Large being here about three or four years ago. And, right. Um, she performed um, from Greece. I think it was hopelessly devoted to you. And just turned that very harmless little song into something that kind of had this sense of like, a Stephen King movie in it, and it was just extraordinarily <laughs> sinister. Because nothing and, says romance like Stephen oh, King. Well, I think there is this very dark side that she takes. She finds the dark sides of these songs. Cole Porter's um, "I've Got, I've got you. you Under My Skin." If you right. listen to that, it you just realize um, there are there are these dark sides to these words, and I think I think she really revels in that and i think is a very very exciting subversive crazy concert and i'm really really excited to play it. but yeah. the music isn't all dark like I, i've listened to her albums they mm -hmm. aren't they aren't they aren't all dark there's mm -hmm. i think there's a playfulness that she'll explore Absolutely. in the arrangements you could say that of audrey mcdonald too mm -hmm. you know she had some really interesting arrangements yeah. when she was here um but it just really speaks to the breadth of of what these love songs can do. It's not the, you know, it's not like you're going to Hallmark and and, and getting the same exp experience of uh, affection in all of the love songs. There's actually great uh, depth to to the music and and the possibilities there. I was thinking of bringing in a little bit of music here. I, I know some of you um, talked about via email when we were discussing this episode what music you thought would be romantic. Mm -hmm. This is one of Merwin's choices. That was your choice, right? Okay. It is. <laughs> I chose several different ones. This is probably one of the most kind of, I hate to say cliche, but it's certainly one of the first mm -hmm. ones that popped to my mind. And, yeah. and I do, you know, just love this melody. You want to tell us what it is? 
It's from um, Rachmaninoff, but it's a kind of an inversion, an upside down, if you will, of Paganini's yeah. 24th Caprice. He somehow, and not, you know, this is what separates genius composers. Um, he was able, he realized that if you actually turn that melody upside down, it becomes this incredibly gorgeous romantic yeah. tune, and and it totally is. I like how these kinds of themes that they're rhapsodic for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. um, can portray lots of different feelings. It can be romantic, but it can be in lots of different situations. And a lot of film directors have, have used this sort of music, you know, it's a great effect, even to a comic effect. Like this piece is almost like you said, a cliche. And, you know, you think of the lovers in the wide open field rushing mm-hmm. towards each other and, and you know, Absolutely. perhaps missing and keeping on going somewhere. <laughs> That's how you, you imagine know? it, right? Yeah. It's the, the Mel Brooks <laughs> but, version of that scene, yeah. yes. That, that would be but, the story I, but of I'm with you life. there. I, I feel like there's something very melancholy about that music at the same time. Yeah. And, and Rachmaninoff does this. Tchaikovsky does this. I guess you have to be a Russian composer to really get to that sense of melancholy and beauty and love all at the same time. Um but it also happens in, in, in love songs. You know, some of my favorite uh, Sinatra albums are about the one that got away. Uh, but uh, you know, th- This Was My Love was one of my favorite, favorite Sinatra songs. And it's one of the most beautiful songs. But it's, it's, I don't know that song. No, this you, Was My Love? Yeah. Was the name of it? Fits his voice just beautifully. Oh. But then he has something like um, I've Got a Crush on You, where he has the saxophone playing along with him. Not, he doesn't use a lot of solo sax, but he does on that song. And there's something about the way he says the word crush that sounds like mushy, blushy love songs. <laughs> there's something about it that just, um, yeah. it, it's it's a great love song. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, that, that was part of his magic, mm-hmm. his ability to take a single word and fill it with all different kinds of meanings. That's true. Right. Uh, Felicia, when you think of, you know, romantic songs or love songs, uh, any favorite, you know, oboe anthems come to mind? <laughs> no. Because no. that's all you get. <laughs> that's all I get. Um, the the first one that popped to mind was, I think, Nino Rota. Yeah. Um, Romeo and Juliet from oh, that right. film, like 19, in the 1960s, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the, the melody is, escapes me right now. <laughs> But yeah, that was the I'm first one that popped in my I, mind. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I first encountered that that movie. Um, I think it was an English class in high school or something. Oh, we yeah. watched it right after reading. Yeah, everybody did. Yeah. Everybody watched that mm-hmm. in school. And it was scandalous because there was a, a quick little nude scene in there. I remember. Oh, yeah. My teacher had like uh, some sort of cardboard piece of paper. She just stood in front of the TV and like slapped it when it came on. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, "There you go, kids. Keep watching." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But that's what I—that's what I think of when I think of yeah. romantic yeah. melodies. We saw it on the big screen though, so they couldn't really do that. They, they had a big. <laughs> it would have been in ineffective it. with a tiny yeah. piece of cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait here! <laughs> oh darn, I missed. <laughs> Went by so fast. Yeah, but you know, there's there's something about you, that scene of run, rushing through the. Um, through the field and, and the the great reunion it, that that to me is the Tchaikovsky Romeo and Juliet so you're talking about oh, Romeo yeah. and Juliet uh, the fantasy overture is also cliche but it 
is so wonderfully done. You think about how he kind of sets it up. There's a sort of like heart pounding in the low strings and you can't help but get swept up in it. Yeah. And and it's unfortunately a piece that we don't play very much. It's more pop's repertoire now, but it's really, really great music. It's fun. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's about 20 minutes long and we only know it for a couple minutes in the middle. Yeah. Sounds even better the way you do it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know, what makes those songs sound romantic? That, you know, there's that kind of sweeping melody that mm-hmm. goes up and down and all, all yeah. over the place. All three of those things that we've talked about have that quality. And, and I'm wondering what it is that makes it seem romantic when you hear that theme. Soaring strings help yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and say that. So it's the string player. I, absolutely. I think, yeah. I mean, the, the, idea that there are, the idea that there are heart strings, I mm-hmm. think there's there's something about that. I think uh, one of the things about um, it's, we, we're talking in a way about how there's this sort of, it's not a perfectly pure sort of, arc of love there's always dark sides there's always mm-hmm. jagged edges and when you look when you compare sound sound waves of various instruments like a flute sound is extremely pure in terms of its sound wave but i think um stringed instruments have much more kind of you know, twists and turns in their sound wave and i think there's something about that that maybe speaks to love okay <laughs> Everybody Either that or Selfium. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm impressed. You remember the name. You think about violin concertos too, though. There's there's something very beautiful about a violin concerto and cello concerto too. But mm-hmm. um, it it, it kind of teeters on that um, that sense of of melancholy and beauty as well. And I'm thinking something like the Barber Violin Concerto, the Andante. <coughs> um, there, there's something really lush and gorgeous about that, and the violin never seems to be perfectly happy or uh, achieving ecstasy. There's always some sort of melancholy underneath with the with the harmonies. But it's a, yeah. it's another wonderful and romantic piece of music. Well, if you think about, um, there's a John Corleone movie, The Red Violin, mm-hmm. and no. it's about, uh, I mean, taking like taking the blood of the loved, the loved right. one, painting it into the, the varnish, varnish of the yeah. instrument, yeah. and I just never thought about how ridiculous that would be if one tried to incorporate that into any other instrument. It's like, you know, mm. let's try to somehow <laughs> incorporate the, the soul of my loved one in the construction of this clarinet. Somehow it just doesn't seem like yeah, it clarinets would Clarinets aren't yeah. really romantic instruments, yeah. I don't think. No offense. George and clarinet. Jocelyn are very upset with you right now. <laughs> Um, no, but there's something about the fact that they're made of wood, that yeah. they kind of still breathe in their own exactly. way. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the way that they're played, I mean, all of those instruments are, you, you're more or less wrapping your body around them mm-hmm. in order to play them. And um, I think that makes them very human. So romantic instruments. I mean, are there any other really romantic instruments aside from the violin? Tam-tam. The tam-tam. Well, yeah. I think that the oboe is actually... Yeah, I consider it a hey, and What are you guys doing? Well, the, I, well I, that, I, that, that was for me, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, great. not for you. Continue on to oboe. I, I think there's a. I, think I there's knew a the fair oboe case was going to come yeah, make for the oboe because I. I mean, you hear the oboe play in lots of movie soundtracks, like mm-hmm. melody. It's either something melancholy or beautiful mm-hmm. or romantic, and it cues like a character coming 
into the scene or whatever. Yeah, and but, it tunes the orchestra. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> That's extraordinarily wrong. <laughs> but if you compare it to the clarinet, when you play the clarinet, you're you're supposed to play it without any vibrato, um, or you know, when I played back in high school, <laughs> I had no vibrato. Uh, and then with the oboe, it's like you're supp- you're supposed to use that. It, it it brings color to the line that you're playing, and I think that's why that instrument is used so often. And like, there is an oboe d'amore. So I yes, mean, an yeah. oboe d'amore. You the know? oboe of love. <laughs> yes. Yes, the oboe of love. Oboe d'amore. Yeah. Very difficult to play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's like it has kind of a weird Dean Martin kind of feel to it. The oboe d'amore. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing volare. What do you? What? Yeah. Oboe volare. <laughs> no, you have to throw the oboe if you're going to be an oboe volare. What about the Romantic, flute and the harp? Flute and the harp. I'm segueing into the next piece of music here. <gasps> Flute and the harp. The flute is kind of, you know, has a, a romantic quality to it. Certainly the harp has kind of a yeah. lugubrious yeah. People who romantic quality. can't see our facial expressions, there's a, there's a fair bit of skepticism. Right yeah. It's a wonderful pairing. It's it a is a wonderful pairing. Sound. It is a wonderful pairing. They go together so sound. well. Well. Yet somehow, you know, I, for me it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, not for nothing, no. Mozart agreed with you, Merwin. I yeah, mean, Mozart I did not like the flute. He only wrote stuff for flute when he was paid or going to be paid for it or thought he was going to be paid for it, although he didn't get paid for all the flute pieces he wrote, including that famous flute and harp concerto, which he wrote for a gentleman and his daughter in Paris. He, he never, never got paid for that? He never got paid oh, for wow. it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you going to play a little bit I'm of that? I'm going to play a little bit of it. Uh, the second movement, which I think has a, this beautiful romantic part, um, and it's all about the, the setup and then the unveiling, right? Mm-hmm. There's some kind of emotion that is mm-hmm. unspoken but shared by all who listen to it and, and you know, see if you can pick up on it. it uh, I mean, I think this is what music does best is express the unexpressible. So this particular piece can be seen in different ways. You can think of it as, you know, like lots of different scenarios, not all of them romantic, Mm -hmm. but we can use it in a romantic context and listen to just the beginning of it here. Well, this is halfway through. What are you shaking your head for? I know it sounds like Zamfir at no, the pan No, no, it's, it, it's, it's a beautiful piece, but it sounds so innocent. Yeah. I, I mean, love is not that way. <laughs> I don't think of it that way. I, to me, it's not a romantic love piece at all. I okay. Not at all. Yeah. All right, never mind. I agree. <laughs> well, okay, so... <laughs> so this obviously was not one of our selections. Like, yeah. Was it Brad's Brad selection? Was it Brad's? Yeah. You want look, to change your mind or just, no? You just no, not really. Stumped on his dream right now, Merwin. Look at how sad Brad That's okay. looks. Yeah. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's only love. Yeah. Um, so think about the romantic piano solo piano repertoire. So there was a sense that uh, you know Liszt or or um, uh, Schumann or or um, uh, even Chopin would would play some of their their own compositions for solo piano, and people would faint. In the audience, oh, yeah. there's this idea of like it's so expressive, it's so emotional. There are no strings, 
no oboes, but there's what? something about the way <laughs> that the the fluidity of the keyboard comes alive and, and no a flute. single person no is harp. making all this great drama happen. Mm -hmm. So what is it? There are no soaring strings. What is that character? And I'm thinking about like Suspiro or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think it has more to do with um, the actual person than the, the vehicle for mm -hmm. the, the music. Like we just saw that demonstrated with Merwin and Felicia shoot me down when I put out that Mozart. You know, to me, it has it has this wonderful quality of like an unveiling kind of a deep uh, feeling that can resonate between two people that that have the same you know that are on the same path. But for Merwin, it's like light and frothy, and you know. Oh, I th it was funny because you had mentioned that it was kind of for a father and a daughter, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought of. I thought yeah. of like I, I thought of a child. Okay, well, now, now you're yeah. and that's that's what I thought of. You know, it, it felt that makes very sense. Yeah, yeah. innocent to me. Okay, beautiful, but you know. yeah, but that really makes me sound creepy when I try to turn it into. <laughs> oh, I hadn't meant to go there. <laughs> I didn't even wow, think about that. Poor Brad. Yeah. That's okay. Doing this radio show is doing a lot for your personal reputation. That's fine. Nobody listens, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just taking notes. So, okay. So I, I, I'd love to know, Maroon, what else is on your list? I chose the slow movement from Paul Schoenfield's Cafe Music. Mm, um, you love that music, don't I, you? Gosh, I love that music. Um, yeah. In a kind of more in the agape sense that you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, the last movement of Mahler three. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, he had asked, also asked for a couple of kind of more more popular song selections and I chose In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. That's one of There it is. Now this to me sounds just like that flute and harp concerto. Right? <laughs> Listen to the I can chords. assure you there's nothing about the, his <laughs> father-daughter really in that. <laughs> it's not, you know, there are no, no words to it. This has words. What are these words about? Well, it's, it's almost kind of like a carpe diem sort of sentiment the sense that we're young we are we this is our time um and you know the the airplane over the sea this sort of sense of how many trips around the world do we have this mm -hmm. is our trip around the world let's uh, make the most okay. of it yeah. that's this that is our is, time yeah this is our time this is our time and then when it's not our time anymore what do we do then we then go we, to, then we listen Storm to Storm Large is the Crazy Arc of Love and, <laughs> right. and explore all the heartbreak and turmoil songs instead. <laughs> Let's relive all of the romantic errors of our past. <laughs> exactly. So uh, let me ask you guys quick Eros little versus <laughs> quick yes. little quiz here. What's the most uh, romantic thing that you've ever done, Merwin? I have to start. For Valentine's okay. Day. Um, oh, that changes it. Well, um, it doesn't have to be for Valentine's okay. I'm saying tell us. On the oh, occasion of Valentine's it. Day. Well, it was probably um, my proposal to Kimberly, my wife. Um, and she's a huge comic book fan. So I um, created comic book pages and with some really great help from some friends, both at the TSO and the Toledo Museum of Art. We put those pictures through the, um, the classic court and kind of, so the pictures the pages of the comic book were framed and they led her to the proposal. So that's Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, look at the time. <laughs> once again, <laughs> once again, we're definitely out of time. <laughs> wow. That's great. 
Oh, uh, should we just go down the line here? Felicia, you want to? I give I us cannot a... think of a story. Skip me. <laughs> <laughs> You've never done anything romantic. What's the most romantic thing somebody's done for you? Oh, I cannot. No comment. No, nothing. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most? Uh, I mean, you know, keep it clean. What's the most romantic thing? It's all clean. <laughs> what you're talking? About. Okay. All right. Well, poor Felicia has never had any any <laughs> romantic things done for her. Zach, how about you? Someone's gonna hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe tell Chris not to listen to this episode yet. Tell him that Valentine's Day is not over yet. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's uh, about all the time that we have for the episode today. Before we go, we should mention that uh, the concert is this weekend with Storm Large. It's Storm Large and the Crazy Arc of Love. She'll be there with her band Le Bonheur, also with the uh, Toledo Symphony, right, performing with them. That is uh, this weekend, this Saturday evening at the Stranahan Theater at 8 o'clock p.m. You can call the box office at 419-246-8000 or more online at ToledoSymphony.com. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org or subscribing on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website. That's toledosymphony.com. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab on FM 91.